Hello, welcome to the Resilience Breakthrough Podcast. This is Christian Moore. And I'm Dave Biesinger. And today we have a very cool guest. His name is John Harrell. He's an entrepreneur. He's on the board of Rachel's Challenge. He also, um, he's an author. He's a podcast host. Blogger. And he's a blogger. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, he just has a very fascinating background. And and for me personally, I've only had a few minutes to talk with John, but instantly connected with him because we are interested in so many of the same things. So I a lot actually, of similarities between the two of you. I yeah. hope this doesn't sound like two people having a conversation with themselves, but um, I'm very excited <laughs> for it. I hope everybody else is. Let's go ahead and get him in here. Welcome to the show, John Harrell. Morning, guys. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Hey, hey. Good morning. Good morning. It's, it's, it's nice to be with a friend this morning. Um, I was telling Dave about you uh, um, a few days ago and why I wanted you on here is, you know, during COVID and as we've gone through all these these crazy things, um, you just started sending me, you know, just short video clips, motivational video clips that, you know, had a huge impact on me, kept me motivated, you know, when I was feeling lonely or, or feeling down during COVID. I, I love that. And John, so I, I want to kind of jump into it. Just like, let's just go right to the heart of the matter. Let's talk about why you felt inspired to write a book, to start a podcast, and to start sending people like Christian motivational messages. Sure. So I'm going to tell kind of a long story, but I'm going to shorten as much as I can. Um, I've, I've been writing a, a, a blog since uh, 2015, and I changed it in, July, in June of 2019 to a daily inspirational blog. It's always anywhere from three to 30 words. But, I, but prior to that, um, I was writing just an occasional piece when I felt inspired to write something. And I had, had alluded to my violent family background. I, I was raised by two, two people who probably shouldn't have been married, uh, but they certainly shouldn't have had, had children. They were, my dad was a cruel, demented man. Now, 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 if you met my dad, you'd love him. He had personality. He could, he could get along with anybody. He had great presence. But he had a lot of demons lurking inside of him, and my mother wasn't much much better. So I, during the course of writing about different observations I had, I would kind of dip into very shallow water of what my my uh, background was like, because you know there's there's some shame that you carry with that, and and you don't really want to open up to the world. And you know I've I've evolved quite a bit since then. But in April of 2018. I wrote a blog called Atticus Finch is Dead, Atticus Finch being the fictional character from the book and movie To Kill a Mockingbird, my favorite book and movie of all time. Well, um, in that blog, I cited a Department of Justice study which said 69% of youth suicides, which now is the number two killer of kids, uh, are kids from fatherless homes. 75% of rapists are kids from fatherless homes. And then in the next paragraph, I said, but what about those of us whose dad came home every night, but we wished he didn't? And I went into a little bit deeper dive about what my family background was like and how I held it together. And I got more response to that writing than anything I'd written uh, cumulative to date. I, I had hundreds of people reach out to me via email and via oh text some people you know one girl called me and uh some but the the underlying theme of every one of those contacts was i grew up the same way but i always thought i was the only one i felt alone and i i get that because i did too now if you knew me in say middle middle school and high school you go this guy's got it all together i mean i was an athlete i was well liked by everybody everybody across all groups the popular kids and the thugs you call them gang members now but we call them thugs um, but everybody i got along with everybody and but i was dying inside um, because of what i went home to every night school was a a pleasurable outlet one girl even called me i hadn't talked to this girl in probably 40 years and she called me and said well i finally stopped crying i'm like oh my gosh what but I'm, I make girls cry all the time, but I haven't even <laughs> talked to you. What, like, what, could, what could I have done to you? And she said, no. She said, what you don't understand is when I moved away from our hometown, when I knew her, I, uh, my dad came home from work one day early. I was in high school, and he caught me in bed with my high school boyfriend. So he kicked him out, and then he kicked me out and said, my daughter is not going to be the town slut. You're no longer my daughter. I'm like, oh, gosh. And she's the sweetest oh, girl. I said, Ouch. I'm sorry, because nobody, I mean, you deserve to be disciplined, 
but that's beyond, that's too much. And she said, I've been trying to reconcile with my dad for years and he wants nothing to do with it. So she said it really just hit a heartstring. But what caused me to go ahead and write the book was if that many people took the time to reach out to me, people I don't even know and say that they had the same experience, I thought there's probably 20, 50, 100 times more people that didn't reach out, but were feeling the same thing. So I thought, all right, here's the time. I need to, you know, just tell my story. And so um, did. I wrote it. And it's, it's not just my story. It's, I call it observations because there's things, there's subjects in there such as judgment, um, forgiveness. Daryl, uh, went, I went and read the, the chapter on forgiveness this morning, and Daryl Scott is the chapter on forgiveness, because that man forgave at a level that none of us have probably ever had to. But talking about forgiving my parents and how I was able to do that, um, I just, and I I say this with great humility because I don't have any ego in anything that I do, but I've always had the gift of being able to inspire others, to make them think, to make them feel, to, to, you know, the doing is up to them, but I can at least stimulate a part in their brain that that gives them not rah-rah stuff not you know the motivational speaker kind of stuff just inspiration and um uh getting to the heart seeing through to the heart of other people so that's where the i started recording videos a couple years ago and i do one a week and i'll publish it on facebook and instagram and twitter and probably some other places i'm not thinking of right now and i send them out to to people individuals and i I put them up on the social media and i get anywhere from over seven eight hundred to four thousand views a week depend depending upon i i I can't tell you why one gets four thousand views and one one gets 400 i i I don't know but um i am a, a believer and i do believe that that God sends the people to hear the message when they need to hear it in their life. And yeah. so I just keep putting the content out and let him take care of the rest. I love that, John. And thank you for that. That's a very concise, very powerful summary of where you came from, why you're doing what you're doing and what it means to you. Um, I just want to, I mean, I just want to open up a little bit because my person, you know, usually I would just ask questions here, but I'm just going to go ahead and offer this. So I, I have a very similar background um, my, my father was really quite physically and emotionally abusive, but, uh, you know, you mentioned shame and that's why I even bring this up at all. And I want you to like, I want you to know, like, I love my dad and I actually have a really good relationship with him now. And he's a totally different man. So I'm the oldest of six kids. He and my mom, just as you said, they had no business being married probably, but I can't even say that because I wouldn't be here if they weren't. So I'm glad that they got married. I'm glad they came together. I'm glad they did what they did. And, you know, with a friend recently, we were talking about like the pain and the trials that we face in life. And it's like, we, we can't, we can't excise those things from us. We can process them, but they're part of us and we are magic. Therefore they're part Uh of the magic that is us. So we, we can't leave them behind. And if we try to stuff them and shove them and excise them and cut them out, like they're a cancer, I don't think we're whole because they are a part of us. We can't bury them. All we can do is be reconciled to them. And what you said about shame was very powerful. So I think, and this is only a realization I had recently, John, until very recently, I felt as though I never really blamed my dad for the abuse because, and I still don't blame him. I think he was just acting out his, he was doing the best he could with what he had. He had his, like you said, he had his own demons to slay. And at the end of the day, I felt like I deserved that treatment. I felt like there was something wrong with me. And I deserved uh-huh. to be treated that way until very recently. Uh, I'm talking in the last few weeks when I had a pretty major breakthrough and I realized like, I actually, I'm a good person. I deserve love. Like I, I didn't necessarily deserve that treatment, even though I'm reconciled to it. Like that child deserved to be loved. That child was a gift and deserved love just as every child does. And so it's only been recently that I've been able to open my heart back up to receive love in that realization. That's fantastic. How, you know, and, and you mentioned that, I mean, that, that is an awe inspiring breakthrough. What did you do to get there? I had really close friends in my life who were positive about me and who loved me unconditionally. And that helped me to understand that I was lovable. That's awesome. And that's all. And that's rare too, to find people, individuals that aren't like, you know, 
uh, you know, typically you expect this of parents, but we didn't have that with our with our parents. But to find people that really would just be kind and loving and compassionate toward you without conditions attached to it. That's a that's a rare find. Yeah, it took over forty what. 40 some years. Yeah, I'm 43. So, you know, and and I think, I think the thing I learned was I had to be that kind of a friend before I could have that kind of a friend. And so Uh for me, like about a year ago, I just decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm done just kind of being an island and just kind of operating from a place of fear and worrying, you know, treating life as though it's this zero sum game. I I thought, you know, I've done this the whole time. It's not really getting me anywhere. I need to, I need to approach life with a more open heart, a more open mind. And I just need to be the kind of thing that I wish I had in my life for people. And when I started doing that and opening my heart, those people just showed up for me. (laughs) That's great. My psychotherapist who I think is one of the most brilliant guys I've ever met. I, mean, I got the right guy, and he, he truly is doing what God wanted him to do on planet Earth because he's that good. But he said something to me years ago. He said, he said, John, the healthier that you become mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, the more healthy people you will attract into your life. Oh, wow. Amen. I and at that. the time, I was like, okay, well, I sort of, sort of half-hearted believed it, you know, but did believe it because I trust him. And boy, was he right. Man, was he right. I mean, I know right Oof. now a lot of listeners are, are hearing both of you and they're just craving that. They're like, man, I wish there was, um, you know, I, I wish I had, you know, one or two people in my life that like that. I just want to say to all the people out there is just really pay attention to how you feel when you are with someone and then you part ways. And, you know, if you part ways and you're yeah. feeling, um, you know, a lot more um, anxiety, um, fear, you're, you're probably in a more... Um, conditional situation for you when you part and you feel like, man, I can't wait till I can be back with them. Can't wait to, to get that reconnection. You're probably in a more unconditional. And I know both of you could probably talk to this more than me, but, um, I just, yeah, just what both of you are describing, um, just in my practice and talking to people, so many people are screaming for that, especially right now during COVID and they've never experienced that. So I just want to say that to the, to the people out there that, you know, those hang in there. And like what your psychotherapist said to you, John, you'll, as you start doing that and, and even being unconditional with people who are being conditional towards you, you kind of take your power back when you do that uh-huh. as well. And I say, you know, just being around Dave, I've known Dave for a long time. And I literally, you know, watch what Dave did to, to literally be unconditional with people. And he got that back, you know, full. And I see you do the same, John, both of you are similar that way. We are yeah. John, you know, I want to, I want to turn it back around. They, thank you both for indulging me for a minute. You know, the host became sure, the guest for just a moment. And yeah, I yeah, appreciate yeah. you That's indulging healthy. me that. So, um, I want to turn it back around and, um, I, I love how you talk about the stories and the scripts for living that were implanted in your mind and the process that you went through of deconstructing those stories, analyzing them, deconstructing them, breaking them down, realizing they were a lie. And then I, and then I want you to tell us, like, walk us through the process of deconstructing lies in your own mind and then building a new vision for your future, writing your own script. Sure. And I'll try to keep that one short because, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's – you know, self-work is the hardest work, but it's also the most worthwhile. But if you if you don't work on yourself and realize there's one, if, if I'm not, if the relationships I have are not healthy, they're not edifying, they're not positive, then there's the common denominator, and that is me. So I have to look at myself and say, okay, what do I need to do different? Like you said, you know, a year and a half ago, I decided I need to be more open-hearted toward people, and 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 all, and and that is, it's a brave thing to do because. People, people are dicks. They'll hurt you, you know, mm-hmm. if you if you're not careful. But um, so what I did was I've always been an optimistic guy, and I have no idea how. I I it's just how I'm hardwired, and I look at I immediately will see the good in in a person or a situation, regardless of what is going on. I see the good in, in coronavirus as much hell as the world is going through. I see good coming from it, but. Um, I, I really started actively practicing gratitude. Um, and the, the study after study will show that, you know, gratitude does change the biochemistry in your brain. And it, and when I talk to kids in detention centers, I, I, I tell them, I tell them this, they, they look like 
at me like I should, they should drug test me, but, uh, but I, I, may, I give them some, some practical ways that they can do it. But when you t- actively practice gratitude, the, the, the prism you see the world through changes. You're able, I was able to see my parents for who they truly were, flaws and all, and see why they were like they were, as best I could tell, because they're both deceased. But um, when I was able to see them for who they truly were, I was able to forgive them and just say, you know what, they were doing the best they could do with what they had to work with. I'm a product of that. Yes, I am glad that they did get married as well. I thought about this, that, that I, because I'm here and I can use my pain to turn it into purpose and use that purpose to help, help others. And so um, it's been a great ride. I mean, I even write about this in the book. So if, if I were to walk into a detention center and they're looking at me like, <laughs> what could I, I always laugh and I go, what could I possibly learn from this older, extremely good looking white man? And, and that's how I, that's how I open up with these kids. And, you know, you get, you get them to laugh a little bit. And if you can get a kid who is so full of fear to laugh just for a minute. And what I, what I say to them is this, I said, look, if you will allow me the next 30 to 40 minutes, I'm going to share with you how we are not as different as we may appear to be on the outside. <clears throat> and they let their guard down and then they, they listen. I, I, um, and I start talking about what, what it was like in my home growing up and, how I hated it and hated my life and I hated God and I was angry with everybody, but you couldn't tell because I just kept it in. And you can see in kids' eyes when you're connecting with them. You can you can feel it. And, and within three to four minutes, and I'm so privileged to be able to do this, but I'm, and within three to four minutes, they see me as one of them. I'm no longer this old guy who's standing there and trying to make them laugh. I'm now someone who's sharing his life story. And you want to talk about gratitude personified? When I was a teenager and hated my life and wanted to live at the house down the street with where my friends were because their family talked at dinner and they didn't yell at each other and there was like it was lighthearted, you could feel it. I wouldn't trade my background for anything in the world because if I didn't have that life story to tell, I'd have no credibility with those kids. I'd have no way to connect with them. I'd be just some other guy and they're trying to make himself feel good talking about how to go out and build a successful business and get an education and all this other stuff that they hear, but it's not relatable to them. My story is relatable. I spoke to, um, and and again, I'm privileged. I I want to remind you, I have no ego in any of this. I've had some wonderful privileges. One of them was in July of 2019, I was chosen to be the morning keynote speaker for a church camp. And uh, it's the most unique experience I've ever had. I'd love to do it again. This church camp was a a large uh, contingent of African-American church kids coming in from all over the state of Texas to Austin. And I was uh, was in in front of uh, probably 400 to 500 people, you know, kids 7 to 17, and the adult uh, counselors, supervisors, et cetera, telling my story. (laughs) <laughs> and it was it was great, but I'm, I'm just. But the point is, if I can connect with an audience like that, and I did, then anybody can get along. You know, oh. Palestinians mm-hmm. and Jews can get along. Republicans and Democrats can get along. Well, we, we can. can and, all and John, get let's along. let's just let's just let's just pause there because you're giving yeah. us so much material to talk through. And so let's just kind of st- step our way backward. So from here. Anybody can get along. Let's deconstruct that for a second. So sure. the reason why you can connect with people is you did the work to view your own story through the lens of maturity rather than the lens of childhood. Okay, so you took a mature view of your parents. You forgave them. You processed. You could not be able to tell this story if you hadn't done that work. Doing that work That's right. is the preparation work for us to be able to go and make meaning out of the story that is uniquely ours. That's the preparation work. That's the price we pay. We do the work and then we can tell the story. So, but that work requires maturity. It requires us seeing the nuances and the complicated nature of human beings, their light side and their shadow. 
right? And to grapple with them. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about um, deconstructing this idea of heroes and villains. You know, sometimes we look at ourselves as the hero of our own story. We were talking to somebody <laughs> yesterday who talked about sometimes we look at ourselves as the victim of our own story. Sometimes we are viewed as the villain and sometimes we view others as the villain. So none uh-huh. of these things are true. What's true is that humans are complicated people who are running things that were genetic and running things that were, you know, given to them by their environment. And they're just, most of us for the most part are just doing the best we can based on what we've got. So deconstructing that and viewing the world from a mature place, I think is the work we have to do in order to be able to tell a story. Now, walking backward from there, I love what you said about gratitude. And I just want to spend a minute there. I had a pretty major breakthrough just this morning where I had never really, so I do a meditation practice. Um, You know, it sounds like you're a Christian. I'm not a Christian. I believe in spirituality. I used to be a Christian. I'm not anymore, but I, I love Christians. I think everybody should live an examined life and walk after the way that makes them feel meaningful in their own walk. And I don't care what that is. So I think it's beautiful that you're a Christian. I'm not. My practice is 10 minutes of meditation. I do breath work uh-huh. and I do some, I do some chanting. Um, uh-huh. That sounds a little weird to people, but it's what works for me. Every single time I've done that, especially in the recent few weeks, I feel overwhelmed with gratitude to the point that it makes me emotional. And I actually like roll over and give the earth a hug, thanking it for giving me breath thanking it for giving me life. The earth is the source of all life. The earth is the source of everything. The the earth is the reason we're here. So that's my spiritual practice. But here's the breakthrough for me that just happened this morning. So I was reading this book and it tied gratitude to love. When gratitude enters the heart, that is the genesis of love. When gratitude enters the heart, we can no longer hold fear and it makes space and gives birth to love. We can't Uh love without gratitude. Gratitude is what gives birth to love and love is what drives us to be able to connect. And again, back to your concept of story without that love in your heart, you're not going to be able to connect with those kids. You're right. Uh, because, and, and, and it, it comes through and I, I love, I'd rather hang out with a bunch of teenagers or toddlers than most adults because they will give you genuine conversation that is unfiltered. But the, but the thing with kids is this, you can't fool them. You have to be yourself. You cannot fool them. You can't go in there and tell them some story that's not true. Um, but, when they, but when they trust you, they will trust you with everything. They'll t- tell you everything. I heard Daryl Scott say this. You know, it was eight, actually, actually it was, looking back, it was eight years ago yesterday when I met Daryl. It was at Martin Luther King Day down in Le- Le- League City, Texas. And one thing he said the first time I heard Rachel's story was, he said, if you capture the heart of a student, they'll give you everything else. Now, that is so true. You capture someone's heart, and that's true with adults as well. You capture their heart. If you hit them at the heart level, you know, then, then that, that, that is a true connection. It's deeper than just some you know, surface conversation about, hey, how's the weather down there? Wonderful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I know it, exactly but, what you mean. I, and, and in fact, it, to the, I'm to the point, John, and Christian, jump in here. Like, I can't stand those conversations. They actually drain me and they make me feel tired. Like, I, you, you know when you're in a zombie, I call them zombie conversations. Like, yep. I know when I'm in a zombie conversation yeah. where we're both just kind of acting out a script that we're supposed to say and neither is speaking from the heart. And, and in this same book I'm reading right now, they talk about how you can kind of get your heart's rhythm in sync with somebody's. I don't know that that's literally true, but I think it's metaphorically true. When we vibrate uh-huh. from the heart with another human being and we speak heart to heart, soul to soul, we have a connection that enlivens us. It changes us. It lights up our brains. Like, and, it, and it can happen live. It can happen on the phone. It can happen through text. It can happen in all of these mediums. But it only happens when we're true and when we share what's deepest to us. I mean, there's lots of neurons we know in our heart. I was just reading a book not too long ago that showed that, and how accurate this is not 100% sure, but it shows we have more neurons in our um, heart than our head. But, you know, it's that dance between the heart and head. I mean, if you you stay in your head, you're going to have tremendous separation, tremendous, you know, because you you can rationalize why you're right, the other person's wrong, and so on. For unity to happen, it's got to take place at a heart. You got to get out of your head, you know, and, and tap in the heart. You know, my head is constantly telling me why I'm either more inferior or superior to someone. And you got to get out that head and spend time in that heart to, to break through that. And I think knowing both of you a little bit personally, I know that's something 
that both of you have have done, and we, we got to keep talking about that. You know what, what what Christian just said is so true, and I remember you know when Christian and I met, um, it was at a racial challenge conference. I think it was I think it was June of 2016, and I had heard about Christian for years from Daryl. He goes, "You got to meet this guy." He goes, first of all, he is a he is a wonderful storyteller, and he has an incredible story to tell." But he goes. You guys are just would just get along, and okay. So I knew Christian was one of the speakers that day, and I, I walked up to Daryl and Sandy, and they said, "Hey, the one person I want to meet is Christian Moore." And they parted like the Red Sea, and there was Christian. He goes, "John, here's Christian Moore." And so I listened to his uh, breakout session that morning, and then we had about an hour and a half to to kill before the next one. And so we went and grabbed lunch. And it was, it was an instantaneous connection because we just both spoke from the heart. And I swear, I think that we, we could probably still be sitting at that same lunch spot right now oh, absolutely. talking. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. absolutely. But we connected at a heart level. And, and, that's, that's and right. you know, going back to the other thing you said, which was we can get along with anyone, you know, kind of was like, okay, let's walk back through all this because you just said a lot. Uh, so I think that if you're a Democrat, Republican, if you come from one side of the globe or another, the one thing that cuts through everything is speaking heart to heart, soul to soul. Any two uh -huh. people, if they're true and if they have maturity. So that maturity that you discuss, it's not just deconstructing the story that your parents gave you and viewing them as human beings. It's viewing everybody that way. Everybody has a light within them. Everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has something to offer you if you just open your heart and listen. They may not agree with you. Their, their walk may not be the same way as you. But if you can open your heart listen and be true about what you really believe. I believe any two people on the planet can speak soul to soul. And if we do that at scale, we will not have wars and we will not have strife. If we can just do that one thing, I really believe that. I believe you're, I believe you're right. And I do believe that goodness and kindness and compassion and, and connection, all these things transcend politics. For some reason that seemed to be a, a way, a place that people default to nowadays. I mean, I, I, I put a post on Facebook about uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, and it was I saw this this documentary about her, and I never knew all this stuff about her life. I knew she was a Supreme Court justice, which automatically commands respect from me. And I'm watching this documentary, and I'm like just blown away. Going, if I, you know, I have two sons, but if I had daughters, I would say this is somebody you should look up to as a role model because she's done it. She's fought for women's rights. She's argued six cases at the Supreme Court. Most lawyers never get one. She won five of them. And so I put something on the, the Facebook about, about that, that you know, hey, catch this documentary if you can. And one of my friends, who's a good guy, he goes, he goes yeah, he goes, he goes I, think, I think she's uh, pretty good. I don't like her politics. And I said, this is not about politics. This is an inspirational story that will move you. If, like, if it moved me, it's going to move you too. I just know it will. Because her story is one uh, that is... It wasn't easy. It was difficult. And, and it's like, but again, why are we politicizing something? I, just, I didn't put any, any politic, politics into that post at all. And oh, that's to clear of that stuff because it's not what I'm about. I'm, I'm about spreading light and life. And that's going to, that's going to create nothing but, but arguments and, and strife. Yeah, you right? definitely, yeah, no, you, man, you put light out more than anybody I know. You really do. You put so much light out there. And, um, you know, I know in your professional career, you work in um, economic investment. But I think uh -huh. if we're really going to look at what brings us together and creates unity is 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 emotional and intellectual investment. I'll give you an example. You know, when, when people first meet me, they're like, man, who is this guy? I'm a white man. When I talk to people on the phone, they go, man, he sounds like he's African-American. And so, um, <laughs> and so, you know, just be, you know, a white kid. And most people out there know my story. I spent a lot of time in an African-American home, African-American community and stuff. And so people, um, will judge me. I live out, you know, here in the Rocky mountains. And so it's easy for me to be, um, to be confusing to people really quick. But here's the thing. When people um, invest time in me and they hear my story, they hear my background, they hear why I have, you know, the views I have politically or emotionally, spiritually, all these things, nobody's confused on why maybe I'm who I am, I'm a little eccentric or I can be, you know, different at times or whatever. The uniqueness about me is 
the only people that are ever confused are the people who don't take the time to really get to know me or they put me in a box from my past and I couldn't progress. You know, I wasn't uh-huh. even in a place where I could progress because they put me in that box. And so I think if to create this unity and get along with anybody, we have to, um, you know, make huge investment in just trying to understand where is this person's walk? What was their journey? And I know when I understand someone's journey, I can't hate them. But when I don't understand someone's journey, I can put them in a box. I can say they're those people and so on. Yeah. And um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about those people for a second. And I want to just go back to that post that you made and that instinct that we all have to rush to our corners, right? Whenever someone says something, that that act of politicizing it, as you said, is the act of joining into our tribal group and saying, what would my tribe say instead of what would I say, right? And so yep. the, the problem the problem with jumping into tribalism is it it's the opposite of what Christian just described. Instead of looking at people as individuals who are complicated and may even hold conflicting beliefs, right? Maybe, you know, maybe there's a maybe there's a Republican who thinks that abortion is okay sometimes. And maybe there's a Democrat who who thinks abortion is horrible. I mean, people are complicated and they believe the things they believe for reasons. And th- I think the the real damage that tribalism is doing to our world, whether it's political or religious or nationalist, is it causes us to all break each other down from complicated individuals into these like cardboard cutouts. We dehumanize one another and see tribes in order to survive. They ha- they have to be at war with each other. Otherwise, what's the point of the tribe? If you don't need protection from the enemy, then why do you need us? And so the tribes themselves are trying uh-huh. to continuously make us, you know, outraged with the other side. And they just feed all of those instincts. They feed our fear. And instead we have to, sh- we have to just push the fear out and let the love in and see people as individuals. And, and people are individuals, and, and it, there's a premium nowadays on, on fitting in. So if, if I don't know, uh, if some celebrity wears a certain brand, then you want to wear that too, so you can think that you're in that tribe, if you will. But, you know, here's, here's how I kind of take that – here's how I approach this part of life when there can be difficult conversations to have or conflicting points of view. Um, first of all, we're never going to all think alike. And if we did, how boring would the world be? Amen. But here's how I look at it. It's – you know, be secure. I tell my friends and and and, and people I don't know, and, and when I get a chance to speak again, I'll continue this message. Be secure in your beliefs, but be secure to the point where you're willing to entertain another belief. See things from someone else. Listen, really wow. listen say that one to more what time. other people say. Say that one huh? more time. You got you to say that one more time, what you just said. Yeah, be secure enough in, in yourself and your own beliefs to be— um, you know, you know what you believe, but be willing to listen to someone who may believe differently. Because here's what here's Man, what happens. It's so not much. a threat to your it's not a threat to your beliefs or your convictions. It either strengthens your convictions or you maybe change your worldview a little bit. What's wrong with that? Because then you 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 know, the more that you take into account diverse opinions, the greater that my worldview expands. Uh, we're never all going to get along. And again, as I said, it, the the world would be boring if we all thought alike or addressed alike. I mean, you know, uniformity in in that is not is not the goal. The goal, I think, would be listen to people you may not agree with. I watched a, a, a one hour Joe Rogan podcast a while back re- recently. We interviewed Bernie Sanders. Now, I I could not be farther politically from Bernie than anybody probably, but but uh, and and he's he's actually in in private conversations he's my favorite politico to to, to joke about. But here's what here's what I learned from that podcast. You know, Bernie Sanders and I want the same things. We want the same things. We want people to have access to good health care, and it doesn't break the system, and it doesn't it it allows physicians. He didn't bring this up, but I will. Physicians are the smartest people on the planet. They need to be able to earn a living, you know, commensurate with what they've gone through for education, Um, because you want the smartest people going into medicine. You know, I don't want anybody to ever go hungry. I want everyone to live in safe communities. I want people to to not be afraid to go home. I want I want kids to to never go hungry. We want the same things. But his methodology, in my opinion, is flawed on how to get there. That's because the man's never been in business. But I'm thinking, if I can look at Bernie Sanders and go, we want the same thing, 
that's the starting point from where from which we can work. Well, and the most important point about that starting point is you're having a conversations uh, you're having a conversation about <laughs> ideas and you're not attacking each other personally. Now, oh. to me, I want to break that down just a little bit because I believe the way that you're approaching the world with openness comes once again from a place of maturity. So, if we have not taken the time to examine why we believe what we believe, where it came from, and, and really owned it ourselves, I think we are afraid of taking in new information because we're afraid of what it might do to us. We're afraid of what we don't know. And when we can replace fear with curiosity, when we can say, look, I'm very secure in what I think because I've really thought it through. I've done the work. I've grappled with it. I've taken a look at it from a lot of different angles. It takes away the fear of coming up against an idea you don't agree with because you're like, look, I, I, I know what I think and I know why I think it. I can defend it, right? So I'm no longer afraid to take in new information and to change if what, you know, I've done the work to understand why I think what I think. Therefore, I'm not, I'm not as afraid of doing a little bit more work to maybe change what I think when I encounter new information that challenges what I think. And so with Bernie, you're not looking at him as a, hu as a, as a human being saying, oh, he's a damn socialist. You know, he's got to get the socialists out of our country. They're going to kill our country. You're going, okay, well, we want basically the same thing. Or maybe sometimes we don't. Maybe we have different goals and that's okay too. But he's not an evil person. He just has a different idea. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's that, motives. That is right. Yeah, motives are everything. It's, I, mean, I heard you saying there a second ago, John, is understanding um, different people's motives and why they have that that perspective. I know when I um, I've done um, work with gangs, you know, in a lot of cities across America, uh -huh. and I'm always trying to help the gangs understand that you know at the end of the day, y'all are more similar than different, and your motives are very similar. You all want status, prestige, you want to be seen, you don't want to be hurt, you don't want to be taken advantage of. So the motives are similar. For example, Bernie's perspective is there's no doubt there's plenty of resources where people could, you know, be pulled up and people could thrive. And so in his head, he's like, look, we're not lacking something that is not there. It is there. So you, you, you have that perspective. And his motive is, I want to make sure people have access to these resources. Someone like you with your background, and especially with economics and stuff, you see it. Hey, I want long-term opportunity for people. And certain things have to take place where that money re-perpetrate, re you know, re, re replenishes. Yeah, that is circular that, that, um, that, it, that money is able to, um, you know, keep growing and coming and stuff. And so the, um, it, it's interesting, but both motives are to help children and family thrive. And so the, the idea that we can put on the table, we have to put the best economic idea on the table and then, um, then rip that apart stop ripping human beings apart. Yeah. Ideas should right. always be under attack. Yeah. People should never be under attack. But ideas have got to be, you know, shredded so we get to the best place. But when we live in a world where you can't express yourself or you can't put an idea on a table, that's when um, I think we have bigger problems. And, we, and we've, got, we've really got to take an active stand on this stuff because the cancel culture is alive and well. Uh, it, it's like, okay, I give an example, and I, I used this example a couple of weeks ago on somewhere, but, but it's true. So the cancel culture, if you, don't, if you do something I don't like, I'm not watching your channel anymore, I'm not going to do this. So a few months back, um, Netflix came out with an original show called Cuties, and it was, it was sexualizing 11-year-olds is what, I'm, what I uh, could get, glean from it. And then I see this hashtag you know, going around, cancel Netflix. I'm going, that's insane because Netflix has got a lot of content, a lot of stuff I really enjoy, but I have a choice of watching that show or not. And I choose not to, but I don't want my choice taken away and, and, and all because it, I want to have that, that freedom to, to do that. And we all need, you know, we live in the most unique country, culture, society in the world where we have free choice. But this cancel culture where you become vilified if you don't agree or, or have a differing opinion, that's got to go. <laughs> I, agree, I agree completely. And, you know, well, I think what we're really getting at here, you know, at least from our perspectives, is we want to preserve the marketplace of ideas. We want to preserve freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, right? We want to preserve the ability for idea, the best idea to win, right? Let's <clears throat> mm -hmm. When someone's gatekeeping, they have an agenda. I mean, look, as a father, I gatekeep my kids sometimes because I want them to do certain things. It's, it's when you're in a position of power or control, 
you know, to be able to gatekeep people is something that, um, and that, you know, it puts your agenda first and to, you know, let people have real agency, real choice. We have to, you know, let them be able to do that. But we, we have to be brave. We have to trust each other. And I, I know if, being someone who's met a lot of people, you know, I've probably shaking hands with a million people. 99% of people are, are good. And that's why I'm, I'm not afraid of people being willing, being able and willing to express themselves because if we let ideas get to the top of the table, I know there's far more good out there. And I think about all the voices we've suppressed that, that could have solved so many things in our world. We never even let their voice on top of the table. And that to me is one of the most heartbreaking things. And you're right. And, and, and you're right. I, I, I agree. Most people are good at heart. Most people yeah. are. But when we see people attacking other people, when we see, I mean, it's like I always say to people, the, the bully is the most scared person in the room, and they want you to be scared too. Absolutely. So you remember this when, 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 when you're confronted with a bully. But, but you know, <clears throat> people act like jerks. It's, it's not because they're jerks. It's, you know, they're, they're, that they, may, they may be really good people, good family mem- members, good uh, members of the community. But they are acting out of some some kind of inner pain, and we got to recognize it for that. It's not that they're just trying to be a jerk or an argumentative ass. They simply have got a lot. You know, people have got pain, and you know our world is full of pain, and it's a lot of unresolved pain. We we have got to continue to work to encourage people to work through this stuff, and try to to expand their again expand their worldview, change the prism they see the world through and see other people through. Because think of it like this: let's say that let's say that uh, you have someone who is an absolute bigoted racist driving down the road, and and they have a flat tire, and all of a sudden a car of black black kid stops and changes the tire. Do you think that that has altered that person's view of black people because of this act of kindness? Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. When, you know, Christian always says it's hard to hate what serves you. When, you know, Christian, obviously Mm -hmm. he has a very close, personal, intimate relationship with an African-American family, with a black family, because that was like his second mother, right? He has a brother who's black, right? They met his needs to an extreme. And he talks about this a lot. And that's why he has so much love for that broader community, you know? And of course, not all black people are the same. We can't say that just because he had an experience with all anybody. Yeah, like nobody's the same. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's kind of silly for us to break down so many of these differences into just (laughs) something as silly as how much melanin's in your skin. I mean, that that can (laughs) have an influence. It is silly. Yeah, to say that like all Europeans are the same or to say everyone from Africa is the same. It's like, no, we all have so many things different about us, but there are (laughs) cultural things that are similar, but that's, that's kind of a tangent. Um, you know, people are walking around with so much pain and I look in my life, you know, a lot of my life, I've dealt with a lot of emotional pain, a lot of anxiety and what really helped me work through a lot of, um, pain and anxiety was when I could see things from more than one perspective. If I have a problem in my life or I'm judging someone from one angle, that pain doesn't go away. So, you know, as I speak last year and a half, two years as I've been out speaking, I've been really encouraging people to see things from as many perspectives as possible because there's a freedom in that. When you see uh-huh. things from one or two lenses, you're likely to just stay stuck and you're going to spin and spin and, and be in a dead end. If you can get to that third perspective, I think this is where where um, where the huge breakthroughs come from. You know, a lot of people can have one view, a lot of people can have two views, but to see things through a third lens and what you're really doing in that third lens is you're able to understand kind of both views. I, I love um, watching people arguing as a therapist for many years, you know, as I've worked with couples <laughs> who are going through a divorce. And anybody who's ever done this knows both are right, both are wrong. <laughs> and you're just like, you quickly pick up on all these issues because the most powerful lens is that third lens. And what's really powerful is that fourth lens. But I, I, I've just never really tied it to pain until you're just talking there, but that pain goes away when we can see things from multiple perspectives. The fastest way, if you have the same pain over and over and over again, is a good chance you're not seeing it from three or more different perspectives. I don't know what your feelings are on that, um, John. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because pain is actually one of the, one of the motives, you know, is, easing pain is one of the motives behind the things I write and the things I record. 
um, <clears throat> because I heard it's funny, but uh, I was listening to the songs, so songs by some group called the Church or whatever, and they're not a Christian rock; they just call themselves the Church. And one of the lyrics, um, the actual lyric, the, the 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 setup for the for the for this part of the of the song was the band is standing off in the wings, about to go on, and they don't really want to go on. They're kind of going through a breakup and all, but but um, it's uh, the the lyric is the the people have paid. The show must go on, mm. and I I heard the people have pain. The show must go on, mm. oh, and wow, every time wow. I hear the song on my uh, iTunes, it still says the people have pain. I thought, you know what, this is a message I'm getting from somewhere else. Call it God, call it the universe, call it whatever. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I need to use as my mindset is easing people's pain, trying to to lean into it, and say I, I've been there. Yeah, I'm still there sometimes, but I've I've been there. I remember the coronavirus, this isolation. I literally send out about a hundred text messages every week, just checking on people. People I hardly even know. Just and again, I'm not a hero. I just know what people need. People need to hear that somebody is thinking about hey, it. Somebody it made a cares for me. It made a yeah. difference about, to me, John. I remember. I remember this thought. You just re-sparked it again, and you sparked it the first time. So thank you for doing it again. So there's this adage, right? That hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Okay. The opposite is also true. Healed people heal people. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so this yeah. kind of cascading thing that we want to do is like if you heal one person, they go and heal five more. And then they go and heal five more like, you know, just like, you know, like, like the ripple effect that um, Daryl Scott always talks about. I really think uh -huh. that we can be like m massively influential, much more influential than we even realize simply by healing ourselves. Right. By taking the time and, and working with others to heal ourselves first. And then once healed. We stop hurting, you know, hurt people, hurt people out there in the world. They do it over and over again and they're causing this ripple of pain, right? But the, but the ripple can slowly stop and turn and we can turn the tide toward healing. If enough of us get on the bandwagon, heal ourselves and then go out and try to heal others and heal communities. And the healing part of our healing ourselves is that's the hard work. It is hard work. As you know, it's not fun facing these, you know, dark, recesses in your mind, which every, you know, every bad memory, every good memory is stored in your subconscious forever. And you have to go, but I did this thing to my psychotherapist in 2014, January, 2014 called, um, like, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, it's an acronym, but it was basically identifying your Christian. You know exactly what this is. Identifying your spot in the family and how you fit, fit in. Right. Yeah. Yep. And family of origin, that's what it was. Yep, yep. And so um, he called it FOO, F-O-O, family of origin. And, I, you know, I, when my, my, my therapist kind of, he would suggest every now and then, go, hey, I'm going to do another family of origin weekend. Would you like to consider going? I go, no, 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 no I did not for me. One day in January of 2014, I go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go. I have no idea why I said I'll go because I immediately thought, no, take it back. Come up with some reason not to go. And I mean, for that three-week interval between when I said I would go and then when the actual weekend came, I must have talked myself out of going a hundred times, no less. Even driving through the gates of the Austin State Hospital where we were having it, I'm going, turn around, go somewhere. David will understand. Just leave. I go, no, I'm going to go do this. And I, I am so grateful that I did because there was something that was in my in my subconscious, something that was blocking me that I had buried years before, years before. And I didn't know what it was. I knew it was something. It's, it's weird because I knew it was something, but I couldn't put my finger on it. It would rack my brain. Go, what is wrong? And it came full circle that weekend. I realized I was holding in a resentment against my mother for not protecting me from my father. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't get it at the time as a young person because I didn't understand, because to me, she was just a bigger person, but she didn't have the strength to do so. And that moment was was one of those breakthrough moments. I was able to see their, their dynamic as a, as a husband, you know, husband and wife, mother, father, and see that she, I could forgive her for that. And it was so freeing because she didn't have it in her. She did not have the strength in her to protect me because my dad could be physically violent. And so, um, but I was able to let, to let it go. And I, I, I told David later, I go, all right, I hate to say it, I'm, I, but I'm grateful for going, but I'm never going to another one, okay? 
<laughs> it is but hard it's that work. kind of work where you're facing this stuff from your from your past that and everybody you know not, not everybody has it to the point that that maybe we do but but everybody has stuff that prevents them from being the best version of themselves the best most most fulfilled person they can be i don't use the word happiness because happiness is momentary fulfillment fulfillment is sustaining it's something that keeps going i mean i you know i may not be happy one day working from home by myself but i have a fulfilling life yep. so that's that stays with me versus a happy moment well it's, it's not something that is is really uh, po- possible. You know, it's it's. That's I was going to kick it wet, yeah. weddings, and we wish you much happiness. Yeah, I do yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. No, I love it. I love it, John. You know, it, what's interesting is I was just saying a few minutes ago, we're much more similar than we are different. So yeah. the process of looking into the mirror ourselves and understanding ourselves is really looking in the mirror and seeing other people. If you want. To understand those around you, have more compassion, have more love, have more insight by looking in the mirror and seeing, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, your pains, who you really are, is to only understand the person on the right and left of you. Because, you know, in my lifetime of studying psychology, trust me, we are way more similar. I mean, it's it's mind numbing. I mean, we all have the it same is. needs, wants. We we are, we're all one. We really are truly all one. And so that that work of understanding ourselves really is 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 the work we have to do to literally really see another human being and, and who they really are. And so um, I love that. I have thought about this a lot because I think yeah. about Rachel's story. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. se- sadly, seventeen-year-olds die every day. This young woman has has lived for twenty-two years beyond her her date of death, and I'm like, why does her story connect with so many people? And as I as I think about this, I go, okay, we are more similar than we are different. We all have that that thread in our heart of goodness, of kindness, of reaching out to others, of of being being kind to people that that may not have it as good as us. But that theme of goodness that that is is something that connects us all at the heart level. That is why her story has lived on and has has changed, completely changed so many millions of people's lives and will continue to as as that that story will live on forever. Thirty million people have heard her story. Um, There's there's another seven and a half billion people or so in the world just waiting to hear it. I love that. And, you know, the, the insight here that I just want to put a pin in that Christian just revealed was that was like huge to me is that when we do that work to understand ourselves, because of that similarity you're talking about, because we all have that common theme that's woven throughout our hearts, we are so much ahead when it comes time to understand other people. Like our capacity for compassion, for empathy, for understanding, because we've taken the time to really understand ourselves, now we're in a position to understand another human. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we all have, um two voices talking to us all day long. Everybody, everybody you know has two voices inside them talking to them all day long. One's encouraging and one is telling you you're not good enough. Which voice will you listen to more than the other? I love that. I love you know, that. I told, I, I'll tell you a funny, funny aside though. I took when I when I was in psychotherapy, you know, after a couple of years, and uh, I said to my my guy David, I go, I go, you know, David, I have one great concern about psychotherapy. I'm not concerned about what I'll find inside of me as we get deeper here and 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 go go continue along with our our discussions. But you know, I've always known that the best performances, like the best music writing, the best poetry, the best stage performances come from the tortured side of, of a person's soul. They, they take that, it's what, you know, Christians talks about, it. Take, you take that pain and you turn it into fuel for something to, for your passion. I thought, you know, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of funny and I developed a lightning quick wit as a deflection uh, tactic when I was a kid so that people wouldn't get too close. If I get really healthy emotionally, I got, I, I've got to be funny because it's the only thing I got going for me. Yeah. I'm not Brad Pitt good looking. I'm kind of smart, but I'm really funny. And that's how I get girls. <laughs> you don't want to lose <laughs> your head. He, that's your he edge, just huh? died laughing. He goes, yeah. I think you'll be fine. <laughs> hey, hey, remember, John, that, that tortured side uh, that you're just referring to, that's what makes us human. And I know I've said it on this podcast yeah. before. I'll say it again. You know, we'd be like a robot. We'd be like a machine. We'd be AI. If we didn't have those 
deep emotions, positive, you know, negative emotions, positive emotions, um, making mistakes, our failures is what is most special about us. It's in our failures is what makes us human. I, I argue it's the birthplace of humanity is, um, is that tor tortured soul because if you didn't have that, you would be no different than anything else that can process. It's, that's what makes us most special. And that's when, when people will finally let that guard down and show you that side of them. That's, that's true intimacy yeah. with other people, but that way you can connect. Any, you know, we're always so guarded, but when people let their guards down, again, most people are good. They won't use it against you. They won't tear you down further, but we are all afraid to do that because, you know, we're, we're humans, we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being not part of the, the liked crowd, right? Yep, yep. But um, it's a lot more freeing when you're willing to let your guard down. I always feel bad for my for my seatmate on airplanes because, you know, I go to Los Angeles a few times a year and there's a direct flight. So on three and a half hour flight, my seatmate is going to get filled with all kinds of wisdom, knowledge, humor, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but, but I can tell you there's so many times that I just – sit and listen to, to people, strangers, tell me their story in that three-and-a-half-hour period. Yeah. And I get deep, intimate stuff. One girl told me about being forcibly raped and having a child. And, and I mean, it's just stuff that you just don't tell people when you just meet them. But she told me, right? Yeah. And maybe it's because she thinks I'll never see this guy again or whatever. I don't know what, but I think it's because I – come in unguarded and I come in, I come in hot, but I come in unguarded. And I think that allows people the freedom to let their, you know, let, let their heart and emotions be shown as well. Well, one thing that you're talking about right now that I really believe in. So I believe that conversations have the power to change people. You know, there's even, there, there was even an author that was brought up recently on our podcast who talked about that conversations that change the life and the destiny of a human being. I believe that when we're in that heart space you're talking about, when we're really like speaking soul to soul, heart to heart with somebody, I believe even if it's a stranger on an airplane, we can be given words from some other source that that person needs to comfort, to process. They can flow mm -hmm. through us. Like as we're listening and being present, we can know what to say. And saying the right combination of words to another human being when they're being open and vulnerable can literally change the course of history. It can change that person's life. And so to me, the most important work to be engaged in is just being present with people, as you said, listening to their story, actively engaging with them, listening, sharing, like just being open and honest with one another, and then we can change each other's lives. Um, and I know this conversation, I know we've got to bring it to a close here, but it's changed my life. Uh, this conversation has been amazing amen, to me. Amen. Oh, it's been an absolute blast. And I've, and I've learned a lot. And Dave, I, I, I want to hear more about your story so we can connect offline yeah, as two, well. You, you two are, are, are uh, I know, just best I know friends Christian, I haven't I met. I've, I've, I've quoted Christian uh, several, several times, told parts of his story because it just it really impacted me. I had a, I had a Christian moment a few years ago. I was speaking to uh, the college students at University of Mary Hardin Baylor, and I had to do two talks, and I had about a 10-minute break. And I needed to run to the restroom. And so I have a mic on, on my uh, ear. And as I'm running to the restroom and I'm about to, to start peeing, I thought, Christian had a hot mic one time as, as he was, <laughs> he was peeing and talking about, uh, to somebody that was with him about the audience and how they were flat and, and, and everything. I'm like, I wonder if this mic is still on, but I really got to go. I'll have to take my chances. <laughs> Hey, I love it. This is my favorite. You just ended our podcast with one of my, one of my most embarrassing moments of my life. That's awesome. The um, <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a humbling moment. But uh, I'm I'm glad that rescued <laughs> well, you. It if it rescued me, you, it, you know, that flashback because you know you you weren't on my mind that morning. But that moment is like, oh wow. Yeah, I hope this mic. Happen is, I hope that guy remember to turn the and, mic and off. Here's He's the a probably hungover thing. college kid, you know. <laughs> and this sums up our whole conversation. And had you had the mic on, and they heard you going to the bathroom. Guess what? We're all the same. All of them are going to go to the bathroom t today and tomorrow and the next day. There's nothing. But we, it's interesting. We put things in categories that, um, that we're weak or we aren't cool if we show vulnerability. And it's being real and having the real human experience that brings us all together. I mean, yeah. That was a nice way of ending that. I love, I love it. it. I love it. I love it. And if people want to get a hold of you and let you know whether or not that mic was on and whether or not they heard you pee, how can they get a hold of you, John? 
there's a handful of ways. Uh, one is uh, via Facebook. My Facebook page is wide open, John Harrell, Austin, Texas. Um, <clears throat> and then I have a, a daily, that daily inspirational blog, which you have the ability to email me there as well. It's, it's www.seeking-grace.com. You got to put the dash in there, seeking-grace. Um, and I just started a podcast called the Determined People Podcast. And I'm going to have, it's a daily short one to two minute inspirational message. And it's always under two minutes. It's just one thought for the day about what's going on, you know, that may sustain you during your, your day. Wow. Uh, but I'm going to do some interviews as well. <clears throat> I've got a, fan, a fantastic interview coming up with a young lady I met three or four years ago, who is a, um, <clears throat> excuse me, a lesbian ordained pastor and her story is like a roller coaster but it will inspire you she is a wonderful wonderful young woman and she just absolutely is an open book so the determined people podcast that's a tremendous amount of of fun for me um and you know the book killing my father then finding him is available on amazon and i have a an email address in the back of that where people can can email me and they do I always answer. It may take a couple of weeks, so I get a lot of email, but I will always answer anyone who takes the time to reach out and 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 uh, email me. Wow, John, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for all the work you're doing. I love all of it, and I just can't wait to see where destiny takes you next. Keep the healing going, my friend. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it, and uh, again, I, I I feel honored you would think of me good enough to to be on here. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks. <laughs>